You are slipping into a distorted dimension. Reality and fantasy are changing places past the event horizon. Bullies are victims, men are women, and abuse is love. You weren't here just yesterday. Reality is still out there. But to find your way back, you have to notice it. And now, the Disaffected Podcast with Joshua Slocum. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. It is also the show where we talk about cluster B, non-bloody stop. And today is no different. We have a special guest with us today. Her name is Casey. She is a psychiatric nurse, and we are going to talk about what these kinds of personality disorders look like from a working professional's perspective. Casey, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, well, I'm delighted that you said yes, because there are not a lot of people in your position that uh, that are willing to sort of talk about this in the candid way that we like to do on this show. So thank you. First, introduce yourself to people. Let people know a little bit about, I mean, they know you're a psych nurse, but um, how long have you been doing it? What does it look like? What's the, what's the quick lay of the land for you? Okay, so yeah. <laughs> All right, so my name is Casey, and um, I've been a nurse altogether for like almost 14 years, um, but I did psych heavy for like three years. Um, I still do a little bit of psych PR and like I do like a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of different kind of nursing. Okay. Right? So, but my favorite is psych. It's funny because that's the one that I never thought that I would do. I didn't, I didn't even keep the book because like I'm never going to be that kind of a nurse. I don't want to be a psych nurse. I love it because you have to like it a little bit because yes, Sometimes you deal with things like there are people, people are hurting, people are hurting, I get it and everything. And then there are some behavioral people who come in that, you know, you're seeing certain um, DSMs, like certain like, not DSMs, diagnosis for people, you know, mood adjustment disorder. And I'm like, wow, I had that every morning, like, you know, like, wow. So you, you just see both parts where you have people who really need a lot of help. And then you have some people who are just playing the system and you're like, wow, like, it's just amazing. Some of these diagnoses, like we talk about this at, um, at the job that I work at, the doctors and stuff, everybody's pretty much invested. They like what they do. I do like where I work and we are helping people. Yep. And I, that's why I like psych because you can see people need help and I like what I like what I do there. Let me let me ask you this. Well, I mean, first of all, what kind of facility do you work in? Is it a hospital or a smaller outpatient facility, doctor's office? What kind of place is it? So it's a crisis facility. So like you know, they get the cops bring people in. We get anybody in, okay. anybody. So you could have the person that's walking on the side of the road barefoot that looks like they're going to do something, you know, jump into the street or has been dancing in the street um, and the, they get a phone call, the cops get a phone call, so then they bring them into our facility. And I've worked the outside part too with crisis where I'm admitting them. Sometimes they're coming in and they don't know who they are or where they are. They okay. come in naked. Sometimes they just come in all kinds of ways. Or you can be at home and you feel like, I feel suicidal. Like I feel, yeah. like I'm, you know, and I need to go somewhere. You can come to my facility too. It's a psych emergency. 
you know, okay. and it's a cue. Yeah. So we get everybody to, you know, as, as much baseline as we can so that they can start their outpatient therapy, you know, or okay. then we also get people who, when they're being followed for taking their meds, you know, some people have to be on a commitment. If they, if they break their commitment, they have, we have to, they bring them to us and then we get them placed back on their meds again. Okay. Do you have beds at, do you have beds at your facility? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have beds and it's, and it's, um, it's that whole controlled environment. The beds are a certain way. We don't have doorknobs. We, you know, we have some restraint beds. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have, it's not, it doesn't look glamorous, but it can't because anything can be a suicidal weapon, Okay. you know, or anything yeah. or, or something to hurt somebody else. And, and it, some of these patients, they, they'll find the little crap on the wall like, and try to eat it. <laughs> You know, like, it's like why? Like, and then real quick, they tried to get you know, in COVID heaven, they were like, We're gonna put a hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> they want to eat it. See, with me, I just obsess over the cracks and ruminate and, and decide that they mean that my foundation is crumbling. So, <laughs> I'm not trying to eat it. Yeah, well, a lot of them trying to eat it. That hand sanitizer did not last. People were making cups of hand sanitizer, taking it back to the room. I was like, yeah, I don't even know why y'all did this. I knew it was going to be a bad idea, but yeah. <laughs> What's the average, uh, and I'm, I'm going to ask you this a lot, and you know, just give me your best answer. If you, if you don't have stats right to hand, I understand, but mm-hmm. um, how, how long does the, on average, does a person stay in your facility before they're moved to outpatient or, or perhaps being admitted to a hospital? Yeah, you, so it is, um, it's however long, so it depends on a patient. All right. So like our, what our borderline, you know, narcissistic, like behavior patients, they don't stay too long. They don't really want to stay that long. There might be like for a select few who know the system so well that we know them by first name and then they're back again, mm-hmm. you know, but some of them, they, a lot of them are doing this to get someone's attention. Okay. So they don't want to stay that long. They hate it as soon as they get there. So maybe like three days for them. Well, the commitment is once you, if you're 302, you, you're going to stay at least five days, you know, okay. you're going to stay at least five days. So, but then if somebody's severely psychotic to the point of catatonic, where they can't, they're not moving, you mm-hmm. know, they're not getting washed or anything. It's however long it takes. I've seen people there like six weeks, it, oh you know, they, yes, because we have to get that person to their baseline because you just like you would end up sending them right back into the streets, right back into the same position that they were in before. So but really, I mean, but somewhere around two weeks, though, somewhere around. Two okay. Weeks. Yeah. When people come in. Well, actually, let me set it up this way. So you you listen to the show. Thank you very much. That's how we yeah, got to know each other. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know, the kinds of things I talk about, and you know, the way that I talk about cluster B and the fact that I think cluster B and cluster B adjacent, if you will, behaviors are, are a very serious societal problem. Um, from your point of view as a working professional, what does the situation look like to you? And this is the spot where if you think um, I'm onto something, you can say that. If you disagree and you see it differently, you can say that. What is your view on, do we have a cluster B problem in our society from a psych nurse's point of view? Yes, and not just because I love your show. I'm saying this like- I, I No, be honest. You can, you can hate any part you want. I, I really no, just want like, your honest opinion. When I hear people talk like how you do, I'm like, Okay, so I'm not just mean, you know, like, 
because my my style is not uh, <laughs> it's not one where I'm trying to be mean, but I feel like we have to set parameters and. And if you can't, and if I can't set parameters here, then where are you going to learn parameters outside? But that's mm. the thing: outside isn't setting parameters for them now either. Right. Outside is being is being um, controlled by you know these these feelings and these like emotions or these wants and it. There's no reality to outside. It's even to the point like, and I, I'm not trying to like. I hope I'm not skipping ahead to some question you might have. But as a quick scenario. I was working too at another place that was adolescent psych. Okay. So right. they were like eight, um, nine, ten, they went, you know, I saw them up until like 18. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of the young girls were coming in, cutting, they were cutting themselves. Right. Okay. And so during the admission process though, and, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, well, what's wrong? Why are you cutting? You know, oh, I have anxiety. Like, I don't know. I just don't feel right. Blah, blah, blah. But in the admission, you know how you got to ask, what's your birthday? How much do you weigh? What's your sex? You know, what's your gender? I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and they're like 11. And they're like, I don't know, because like, I'm still trying to figure out like if I'm a boy or a The real me, the, ther- the one that's still therapeutic wants to say, well, do you think that this is why you're having anxiety and you want to cut is because you're making a very big decision that you actually, it's already been made for you. And, um, you know, you don't have to really concern yourself with that. You have other things, you know, <laughs> right, you be, right. I would be anxious too, but I'm not allowed. If I say that, you know, and, and this is why healthcare is being hijacked. By, that's a whole nother thing. Anyway, if I say that, then it's like, they can report me and say that I'm, you know, misappropriating them a gender, gender, uh, you know, harassing them. Okay. And yeah. yeah, but so then now we're not so okay. So now we got a bunch of kids here who need help. Something's wrong, and we're not really dealing with the real issues. They are. They really are being told that they can do certain things that they cannot do that so, aren't real. Right. Yeah. Well, I go back to what you said a couple of minutes ago. Is interesting to me because uh, you said parameters. It's another word for boundaries. We're all talking about the same thing here. But you said something I've noticed. The outside world isn't setting those parameters or boundaries for them either. And I think, uh, I'd be interested in in what you think about this. I think that people with these cluster B disorders are are probably getting worse and acting worse than they might otherwise because we have a society that no longer recognizes these behaviors as unsocial or antisocial no longer recognizes them as signs of trauma and signs of cognitive and mood distortion. Mm -hmm. They are instead, it seems to me, praised as signs of authenticity, right? Um, It sounds to me like what you might be saying that some of that is is coming into into the psych healthcare world too. What you're saying, I didn't even when I when I went back to school for my RN and I was taking psych classes and stuff, and then they're telling you how to deal with uh, certain patients, and you know you're taking the tests and stuff like that, and treatment plans, and and all of it is like you know talk to them, listen to them, you know, um, it's a bunch of uh, for lack of a like fluffy fluffy type treatment, right? So. Mm-hmm. But I, again, I, I didn't take it too serious. I, I didn't, but I didn't realize too, I was in a world where I didn't realize what was going on yet with society, okay? But, so for me, I'm thinking like, oh, this is coming straight from, from the psych facility and bleeding outside because 
inside, like I'm, I do take a chance. Again, I've been told like most people respect it, right? That I, I keep it real with these patients. I have to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unethical for me not to. Like that's how I feel. Yes. But I've had people hear me talk to some of the adolescents. They can be very, you know, they can. They have personality disorders. They're kids. They they don't even know themselves. But okay. But I've ta- I've talked to them like, yo, listen, if you're not gonna, because they, they try to like act like they're gonna swallow the pills, they're putting it under the tongues. No, if you're not gonna take it, tell the doctor you're not gonna take it. Don't lie and tell him that you are going to take it, and then you hide it in front of. Him. Well, what's the big deal? You could act like you don't see it, you know. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. We have rules in places, and you know, let them know you're not gonna take it. But if I see you're not taking it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, uh, document that you didn't. Well. I, one time there was a nurse uh, manager who heard me and she, she, she came up behind me and told me, you know, that's not how you talk to kids and you're not therapeutic. Like, what would be, what would be therapeutic? <laughs> I, and then she said, so she, yeah, thank you for asking. Oh, um, you know, Bob, that wasn't his name. Listen, you have to take your medicine. Okay. All right. So are you going to take it for me? Uh, listen, I know you don't want to, I know you don't but you know, you have to do it. Okay. All right. Thanks. And so he puts the med in his mouth, right? She, she finished it. She so, so you, you have to mommy oh. them. Yes. And then, and then the best part was when he went to the bathroom and flushed the toilet and I said, yeah, he spit it right back out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, how long are we going to act like, it's like, yeah, you mommy them and then you stay blind. <laughs> Who does <Right>. that help? <laughs> that helps nobody. So I should probably, because there's always people who are coming into this show new, I'm going to take a minute here and just explain a couple of things. And if you want to add to that or even correct something that I've got wrong, um, uh, go right ahead. We're talking about cluster B personality disorders. There are ostensibly four of them, borderline, narcissism, histrionic, and antisocial. And antisocial is also known as sociopathy or psychopathy, depending on the person you're talking to. These, the cluster B disorders are personality disorders. They're all encompassing ways of relating to the world and ways of thinking and ways of having emotion that are described as dramatic or erratic. These are people who drama follows them. And if drama doesn't follow them, they create drama where they go. I believe now that there's so much overlap between the four allegedly discrete cluster B disorders that I often look at people and when if I'm making an evaluation. I mean, obviously I can't diagnose, I'm not a professional, but I make decisions for myself. And I often think, okay, this person definitely seems to be fully cluster B, but they've got features of borderline, features of narcissism, histrionic acting out. Maybe they have secondary psychopathic traits. I don't, I think fewer people fit into clean categories than we used to. So that's what we're talking about. And borderline personality disorder in particular, although not everyone with borderline acts exactly the same. There are some commonalities. They are generally emotionally unstable. They're very easily perturbed um, by frustrating situations. They will frequently act out, be very vocal, might yell, might accuse other people of plotting against them or, 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 you know, trying to get at their interests. They can also be very manipulative when they want to get their needs met. And they do have needs. They may not be able to articulate exactly what they are, or, but they're trying to get needs met. And they will manipulate and they will, they will put on a, a persona of being a victim, being a helpless victim so that you feel sorry for them. These are the kinds of people we're talking about. Now, 
Casey, from your point of view, let's say, let's say over the course of a few months, average few months, you get, I'm just making these numbers up, you get 100 patients through your door. Who are these people? So what percentage, for example, are in your judgment or by their diagnosis, cluster B, borderlines, narcissists, what percentage of them might have uh, schizoaffective or schizophrenic problems? What does the demographics look like? Yeah, so... It, you know what, and I'm, I'm going to answer. So, but you know, it's funny when you say overlap, it, it's like almost to me now, like cluster B, these, these uh, diagnoses are even turning into like something else where they're not traditional terms. Like, like I told you that adjustment mood disorder, like that, where, where does that fit in into these four? But that's a personality that's definitely a personality disorder. Yeah, so adjustment mood disorder. Is this an official term? And if so, where does it come from? Yes. So, okay. So, you know, because we have to have like, I see, they don't, DSM fives, you know, to build people, okay. you know, insurance. So this is, uh, this is uh, for people who don't know, DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Uh, it classifies them. It's it's a U.S. publication, and it's also used for insurance billing purposes because they want to know exactly what you've been diagnosed with. Go ahead. Yes, exactly. So, yes, and that is one of them, and it sticks out to me. Uh, there's been other bizarro ones, but that one stuck out to me so much because we were talking about a 50-year-old man with adjustment mood disorder. I'm going to come back to that because I'm going to answer your first question. Okay. As far as personality disorders, I mean, I would like to say that has to be like the most the most of our diagnoses are but they're not just going to say borderline they have to be more you know for DSM and insurance they're more detailed but yeah i would say at least 40% possibly 50% it is mostly that borderline then, or cluster b generally no cluster b general sorry cluster b general okay yeah. So, um, so about half the people who come in. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. It is. It is. And then, and then you do get, you know, um, I think it's even more, but um, you get, uh, you do get like a good 10% that's truly schizophrenic, you know, mm -hmm. um, been that way for a long time. You get another like 10% that's just there because really they missed their meds but you know they're not so bad and then you do get your schizoaffective which now i'm starting to think that people who have like for me assessing I, I i don't i can't run studies but i'm starting to think people who have these cluster b's stay in them so long they're starting to morph into like a weird schizo like effective disorder because uh, that's interesting hold that thought we're going to take a quick break because it's time for that um and we'll come back let's pick that up on the other side Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. And we're back. So you said something really interesting before the break about people with cluster B disorders or uh, particularly borderline seeming to shade into schizoaffective. Explain to listeners what schizoaffective is. 
So I'm gonna explain it as best as like, so you know, you you're you're awesome because like you know it verbatim. I know it as a nurse who's like working with it, so my words. Yeah, put it in plain language. <laughs> yeah. So it's a person who comes in with like schizophrenic traits, but they're not fully schizophrenic. Like they're paranoid. They might hear voices too, but um, but they're not like to the point where they're not, they don't know who they are or like they okay. can't get washed up or something, you know, it's like, but it definitely, it's more than if it, it's become, it's something that they actually cannot control and they do need a certain medication to put it in control. So, and it's definitely more than being just, just cluster B, but yeah. I'm watching people who are staying in that position so long that I don't know. It's like they're, they're it's it's morphing into that where and I don't know exactly what's causing it, but I'm like, I don't know if it's that they're getting so hysterical in their minds that they're really getting hysterical. Like, you know, like yeah, it's starting to really take a toll on them, you know? Well, it seems like it can be it, uh, there can be there's sort of a, I mean, if we go back to the the original definition of why do we call it borderline personality disorder? Well, because the original people who coined the term, the researchers we're characterizing it as a person who was on the borderline between neurosis and psychosis. Mm. And neurosis can be depression, anxiety, excessive rumination. Lots of, all of us have a level of neurosis. Some of us are very low. Some of us are very high. It's neurosis is not confined to personality disorders. Psychosis is of course, when people actually lose touch with reality. Um, and, and so that is for many borderlines, one of the defining features is they vacillate on that borderline between having neurosis and actually losing touch with reality. But it sounds like what you're saying to me is that some may go even farther until they begin to exhibit schizoaffective traits, um, as well. Is, is, do I understand that right? I feel like, yes, I do. And before we had this conversation, I was trying to think of an example of who, but like I've had people, I think it's. I don't know if it's the constant coming back and forth to the facilities and being on the meds and coming off the meds and being on the meds. I don't know if it's the brain that stays in this position of the world is against me, the world is against me, the world is against me, because a lot of these people feel like that. And and then it's, and then it's like they 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 ruminate in that so much, then they start actually hearing voices that the world is against okay. them. Like you know, I, it can morph into that, or even where. They have, they don't control themselves. If you don't control yourself, like now to not even get just medical, right? If you don't place some sort of control on yourself and you just allow yourself to be yourself, you will probably be dead in a month. Like, I just really feel like that about, like I think that in life that we should, we all need parameters, right? But if you live in this world where it's like, well, I can't have parameters because I have this problem. That, so now you're just doing things and doing things. Your mind is going in places that it should not go. Mm-hmm. And, you, and then you have an excuse every time it goes there, right? So you never deal with like, damn, maybe I shouldn't have, I've had a nervous breakdown before, right? Like what? Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. You know, I'm not gonna see I, I figured this world out. No. No. And that's what I do tell them though. I had I had one where her borderline was so she was pretty bad off. Yeah, tell us about tell us about this one. <laughs> she this actually that's not even the adjustment move guy, but this particular lady, her borderline was so bad, but I saw the the root cause of it. Because her family kept saying, well, this is coming out of nowhere. Because now she had gotten to the point where she was like cognitively like disturbed. She was two years younger than me. I'm 38. Okay. So she had kids at home. So she's all right. Okay. 
So she's a mom at home, you know, um, she has kids, young kids, and then um, she's a lot of responsibilities are on her. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she, but she always had like, I guess she always was doing things for attention, but she got so bad to the point, and this was around when COVID started. Um, so then the kids were home all day. It just, I guess, must have took everything out of her. So she came to our facility. She was there for three months, all right? And constantly having episodes to to just gain attention. And then would and then just would come up with another excuse and just and then it started morphing into whether if it was on purpose or not, like where she would see me, right? And she would already, I'll be like, all right, here, here's your medicine, you know, whatever. And she'd be like, oh, you tried to, you, you tried to hit me. Oh, she tried to hit me, you know what I mean? Like something for like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and oh I'm my like, goodness. Mm-hmm. Oh, she really? actually accused yeah. you of trying to assault yeah. her. That's a joke compared to what, yes. And so, yeah, yeah. And, and then I'd be like, no, come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know that. And then that was the worst one. So they, you know, that didn't happen. And then all of a sudden she'd be like, Linda, yes, you did, Linda, you tried it. So then she start calling me Linda. And so one day, so they are at this hospital and the doctors and the nurse practitioner, they're trying to figure it out. Like, yo, what is up with her? Well, I had her on this medication. Am I allowed to say meds here? Like, I don't know. Sure, sure. So they're like, you know, I started her on Latuda, but that's not working. But then the Zyprexa is normally pretty good. And then so it's like bouncing back and forth because nothing is taking her out of this like hysteria, right? Until I walked up to her one day. And um, she said, where's my brother? My brother, he's in there, Brandon. I said, listen, you know your brother's not in there. Stop it. Stop it now, okay? Mm-hmm. I said, she's like, Linda, what are you? I said, you know my name isn't Linda. You know where you are, okay? And and you you know everything that you're doing. And she started smiling at me. Oh! Yeah! <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> she yes, knew. You she knew yeah. you knew. Yeah, after a while, I'm like, this now wait a minute. <laughs> We've tried every medication. Some of them I swear by. Abilify, I think, is a great one, you know? And I'm like, what is going on also with PRM and breakthroughs? I'm like, no. And I had to step back even to myself, like, she's, I said, she's really, you know, she's good. So I said that to her, I said, you know, he's not back here. You know, she's like, oh, fuck you, and walked away. You know what I mean? And uh, like, yeah. Smiled, yeah. This mm-hmm. is a great this is a great <laughs> example because one of the one of the problems that we have in thinking about these cluster B disorders is whether we should see a person as de- there's disagreement among people about whether such people are being deliberately manipulative mm-hmm. uh but or if they aren't consciously being manipulative but are just trying to get their needs met is often a a way that I see this conversation go in two different directions. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes I think that there really are gray areas where you can't tell if this person is consciously doing what they're doing. And and I think maybe it'll be 50-50 for some of them, but I know for a fact, you know, my mother is one of them, many people I've known. um, I know that some of them put this act on, whether it's hysteria, whether it's excessive crying, whether it's claiming to be suicidal when one is not actually intending to kill oneself. But I have detected among professionals, among mental health professionals generally, a resistance to calling this behavior manipulative. In fact, some of them get offended and they say, that's judgmental. What do you see? Um, How does that conversation play out if it does in your 
in your work life? So the only thing I was blessed in that scenario to be at the, this particular facility where we actually do listen to each other. And, um, you know, we, we act, like the doctors and, and the nurse practitioners, they, they actually like take in the nurse feedback or the tech feedback who's with mm -hmm. the patient all along. So when she did that, when she gave me a, a, a quick glimpse into the, her reality, the fact that she was still there, I went right back to the nurse practitioner and I talked to her. I said to her, I was like, I said, Yo, she playing all of us. <laughs> I was like, she playing us. I said, but I know where it comes from. See, I'm not going to say, oh, she's just being manipulative. So just discharge her and say, no, I know where it was coming from. So, but there are a lot of doctors though who will say, you're right. They'll be like, no, no, this is a problem. We need to try to figure and it. And it's, and it's now it's like, now I'm looking at you funny because do you really want to help the patient or, or not? It goes right back to that again. Let's deal in reality for the ones who want to say, well, we know we'll just try this med and that med. No, deal in reality. I'm telling you, she gave me a glimpse into her. Pay attention right. to that. My guess is you may be one of the only professionals who ever candidly said to her, I see through your mask. I know what you're doing. And you know that I know what you're doing. And and she I mean, she snapped to that smile she gave you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling, I don't know if my feeling's right, but I have a feeling that most of the professionals she's encountered have not been spoken to candidly that way. A lot of people won't try, like my, my coworkers, they, they're amazing, but I pushed a button a tad bit, mm -hmm. um, because I feel comfortable pushing them. I, when I know when to do it, I know when to do it. Yep. And I still validate the person when I'm doing it because the same person had another, she had a crazy episode and when they have episodes, where they become a danger to themselves and others, we have to come in with emergency medication. Right. So as I'm getting ready to give her the emergency medication, she's like still screaming loudly. And I had to say to her, I said, listen, I get it, okay? You're tired, you you know, it's hard being an adult. You, as soon as you wake up in the morning, you have to make a decision. You got to get the kids ready. You got to do all this stuff, you know? I get it, man, I was like, I, I get it. And you need a break and that's why you're here. You're doing this and you're getting a break from what's going on at home. It, it's a lot, you know? I, but at some point you're going to have to start taking into this treatment and getting ready to go back home. You know, and I gave her the med. I don't want to say that she went back home next week because of me. She right. did eventually go home, you know, so I can understand that as far as I'm not going to just say, Oh, you're just being manipulative. And I'm going to point my finger at you and walk away. No, I'm still trying to get to the root cause of why you feel like you need to do Right. This. Why are you being manipulative? Yeah. 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 Because, but, but you are being manipulative. Like, no, I, yeah, I do see right through you, but the, and, and you, so that for me is that that's a little bit of a button that I kind of like, you know, I push a little bit with certain people because I know when it can work and when it can't work, you know, yes. I'm not going to dare a borderline patient to commit to like, you know, oh, you don't mean it. I dare you. Oh, you know, of I'm course. not going to say that, you know? Yeah. Of course. But I've also had one tell me, you know, because he was doing, he was like, he was threatening to all like anybody who would deal with him, all of my coworkers, when they're giving him his meds, I'm like, why I want this? And I want that. If you don't give it to me, I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to. And so then they'd be like, oh my God, I don't know what to do, man. He's going to hurt himself. And they're trying to figure out through the treatment plan and this, that. I'm like, one day I went to the window and he's yelling at me about something. That's something I don't know. Was, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> and I, I want juice or something. I don't know. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, but you can't have that right now. You, we're going to follow the rules, right? God, so, Casey, like, what a bitch you are. <laughs> yeah, you denied yeah, the man his juice. I didn't call yeah. I didn't get called that 
every day. If it was a day, I didn't get called. Like, I didn't do my job today, you know? So, but um, he's like, you know, at this, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but that's still the rules. We, you know, I can't give it to you. Well, I'm gonna, if, if you don't do such and such, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to run my head right into that wall right there. And I said, okay. <laughs> and then he was shocked. Yeah, I was like, okay. And he was like, you don't even care. That's what he said. Yeah. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? I can't do? stop you from bashing yeah, your head. Like, I mean, like, if this is what you decide to do, I'll take care of you afterwards. You know, what am I going to do? And then he's like, you know, he walked away. He grunted and walked away. I really wonder. I, I don't know how, I don't know if anybody can actually figure this out, but I really wonder if, because, okay, so people who come into a facility like yours, I have another friend who's also a psych nurse, mm-hmm. and she she tells me about who she calls frequent flyers, yeah. and they're, they're almost always borderlines. They're coming in, um, they all want attention, they all, they all definitely want attention for their mental crisis, and they may be having mental crises, but they definitely want the attention for it, or right. they want medication, or mm-hmm. they want a break from their family, or they want their family to feel bad because look, you made me have to go to the psych ward. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard all these stories from her and I've seen some of the behaviors in my own family. I wonder, cause you know, these people in so many facilities, they cycle in and out, they come back, they go through, they come back, they go through. How would there be a better chance of them either making significant recovery from the personality disorder or being able to and motivated to tamp down and modulate their behavior to a greater degree if they faced the kinds of consequences in the outside world that they might face talking to a nurse like you. And consequences, I mean, just like like the fact that you're candid with them, the fact that you know, you're like, I know what this behavior is, I know what's going on here, I'm going to sit here until we can have an adult conversation. I don't think they get a lot of that. What do you, what do you think? I mean, yeah. what's the prognosis for people like this who just come in, get some acute treatment, and then get right back out again? Right, and you and you're right. Um, you you're right about what you're saying. So I'm going to take it out of like, like I said, I'm blessed to work in a place where people they act they care, they actually care. But there's not a lot of places where people care. People are burnt out and they're tired and they just they don't care. And I'm not making excuses. Yeah, I understand. You're, not gonna, you're dealing though with people, so you got to leave a lot of that stuff at home. But whatever, they don't care. And these people, they feel it. They know. They know whether even if they are annoying, they know like, oh, that person doesn't care about me. Okay. And although, uh, you know, caring, it, I, that's even, I got to be careful with that word, giving them quality of care, okay? Because, yeah. you know, I don't lie to them and be like, I think about you when I go home. No, I don't. I don't think about this place. Right. But when I'm here, yeah, like, you know, I'm here. We, you know, I'm here for you. I am here for you. So what you're saying is so true. And that's even, I, I feel that way about like our drug addicts who continuously do the um, the, the turning wheel and everything. If we had a way to, our policies though, they're being written a way where you can't really deal with the root cause issue of these people's problems, okay? Okay, and that is a good spot. We're gonna hold on to that uh, because this is gonna be a two-part episode. We're gonna continue talking, but I'm gonna close this part, the first part of the episode. And what I wanna pick back up is Um, on our next one. And that's what I want to focus on in the second half. So everybody, thank you for joining us. 
Uh, thanks for listening to Casey. Next podcast that comes out, we're going to do part two. Thanks very much. Well, hello, listener. It's Mommy again. You're quite welcome for the fine program. Why don't you show some gratitude? Send Mommy some money on Patreon, patreon.com slash disaffected, or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You wouldn't want Mommy to starve, would you? And if you don't love your dear mother, you're not invited to find us on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey for our hottest weekly content. I guess this is goodbye forever.